I got to tell you, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord with my church family today. I also want to give a shout out and welcome to our church family joining online. And if this is your first weekend with us here at Faith E, a warm and special weekend uh, welcome to you. You know, you're making some first impressions if you're a first-time visitor with us. And you know what they say about first impressions. You got just one chance to make a first impression, right? And I think there's some truth to that. You know, I want to talk to you real quick about the first impression I gave to my now wife, Janet. We met the very first week of college, 1994, 18 years old. Hard to imagine next year, next fall, we'll celebrate 30 years of knowing one another. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And uh, I, I got to tell you about this first impression. Well, yeah, thanks. But hold the applause because you're going to, this, this story is, you won't be applauding, uh, applauding after this story because we were, we were at an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship event. And at the event, there was a pinata. And you know how pinatas work, right? Give me, a, I mean, come on, give me a head now. You know how pinatas work, right? You got somebody holding the rope and they're dangling the thing and you're trying to hit it. You're blindfolded. You got a big stick. You're trying to beat the thing until it breaks open and candy comes out. Well, my wife and I are in line. And uh, she turns around and starts hitting on me. This is how the story goes, okay? <laughs> and uh, again, we're 18 years old, and, and, and she introduced herself to me. And, and you, something you need to know about me, particularly back then, I really like to track politics. I, was always in, I always liked to know what was going on in the political arena. And at that time, in 1994, the United States Attorney General was a lady named Janet Reno. Now, you may or may not remember her. I think we've got a picture of her. I think she's since passed away. But she was the first female elected to or uh, assigned to that position. When my wife turns around and introduces herself to me, she says, Hi, my name is Janet. You may know where this is going. Um, but being kind of uh, a little shy, kind of uh, intimidated at that moment, I, I kind of clam up a little bit, a little awkward because I was. And instead of saying what a normal 18-year-old would have said, like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, Janet, or hi, Janet, my name is Paul, I just kind of blurred out, oh, Janet, like Janet Reno. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real smooth. <laughs> That's my middle name. Uh, needless to say, she uh, had a puzzled look on her face, and rightfully so. But she kind of hung in there with me because then she gives me her little styrofoam cup that has a little bit of pop in it because she's getting ready to hit the pinata. Now, in my defense, I mean, there was just a little bit of soda at the bottom of it, not very much, and I wanted my hands to be free because I was going to hit the pinata too eventually, and I wanted to break the thing open. So I take her cup, and I go over to the tree, and I set it down by a tree, completely forget about where I put it. She's done with the pinata. She comes back, and, hey, do you, do you have my drink? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, uh, I don't know where I put it. I completely forgot all about it. I mean, you can see the first impression I left with her, right? You talk about an epic failure. You talk about a, a monstrosity of a belly flop. That was me. But she gave me a second chance, and I made good on it. I had a gift card to Red Robin, and we went and had cheeseburgers on our first date, and I scrounged up, check this out, I scrounged up eight quarters from my baby blue Ford Escort, and I took her to the Dollar Movie Theater down on Broadwater Avenue. Anybody ever went to the Broadwater Avenue Dollar Theater? You know what I'm talking about. It's since closed, because you don't make a lot of money charging a dollar, but I made right. And as they say, the rest is history. Next year, we'll celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I am thankful to the Lord for giving me a wife like Janet. I don't deserve her. And I'm thankful she gave me a second chance. 
And I'm grateful that we serve a God who gives second chances. Amen? That's what we're going to see today. That our Lord gave Jonah a second chance. So if you take your scripture journals, take your Bibles, open to Jonah chapter 3. We're just looking at three verses. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. By the way, if you don't have a scripture journal, I notice there's still a few floating around in the seats in front of you. Snag one, it's yours, our gift to you. We're halfway through Jonah, and I've heard from so many of you over and over, boy, I never knew there was so much in this tiny book. I'll open up Jonah chapter 3, and let's see what God's true word has for us today. And I think you know, I just want to mention this before we read these verses together, that when I talk about our God being in the business of second chances, giving us second chances, I think you know this, but I'm not talking about luck. I'm not talking about happenstance or random chance. What we're going to see is, once again, the depths of God's mercy and his grace. So let's read these verses together, if you would. Give me just a sec here. Read them out loud with me. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Father, thank you for your word. (sighs) Thanks that you are a God rich with mercy and grace. We need that today. Holy Spirit, we come as your people desperate in need to hear a word from you. Jesus, as your church, speak today to us. May we leave looking a little more like the king we serve. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope you had a chance this past week to do some observations on your own. We encourage you to do that. Once again, pages 6 and 7 of your scripture journals gives you some tools on how you can do that throughout the week. It probably didn't take you too long this past week, just these three verses. And the observations I made, the first thing that I noticed, maybe you noticed this too, maybe you didn't. But these three verses look really similar to what we talked about week one. They really parallel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So that's how it's listed in your worship guide. And you can see some of the things. It's almost identical. Those are highlighted a certain color. I think maybe yellow in your worship guide. But there's also a couple key differences, and we'll talk about those today. First, like we already mentioned, this is the second time. Jonah's getting a second chance. And also, (laughs) this time Jonah obeyed. Good move, Jonah. The other thing I notated, maybe you notated this too, we see Nineveh mentioned three times, this great city mentioned three times in these three verses. So we're going to take a little deeper dive and really look at Nineveh as well today. First, we've got to build a little context and do a little refresher uh, around our discussion last week. Pastor Matt Jones gave a great message, newly ordained Pastor Matt, gave a great message talking about Jonah's prayer while he was inside the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights. And then God had a little conversation with the huge fish, right? He commanded the fish to spit, to vomit Jonah onto dry land, which the fish did. God is sovereign. The fish obeyed. Now, I had to wonder a little bit, where did Jonah land? We don't know, right? But I like to believe, I like to think that, that, that this fish swam right back to Joppa and vomited, puked Jonah right back onto the same port that Jonah caught the ship on to begin with. Jonah's beginning right where he left off. At least that's what I like to think. We don't know for sure. But I also wonder, what kind of condition was this guy in, right? Three days, three fish in the belly of a huge fish? I mean, 
Uh, was he slimy? Did he, was he kind of bleached? I mean, the stomach acids of a fish for three days? I don't know, maybe. Um, was he still got some seaweed wrapped around his head? Did he never eat any fish and chips for supper for the rest of his life? I probably would think so. Did he smell like dead fish for the next year and a half? I mean, maybe God supernaturally allowed Jonah to come out of the fish the same way he went in. We just don't know. We're not sure. We don't know how much time elapsed either between chapter 2, verse 10, to what we're studying now, chapter 3, verse 1. We're not sure, but what we do know is this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, I had to think about that a little bit and enter into this thought with me if you would. Okay, you'd just been through everything that Jonah had been through, right? You're fleeing from the presence of the Lord, leaving Joppa, going to Tarshish, you hit a big storm, you're thrown overboard, you're swallowed by a fish in the sea, and then you're puked back up on the dry land. I got to tell you, the minute my feet, my little legs hit dry land, I'm taking off, beelining straight to Nineveh, and obeying the word of the Lord the first time. You know what I mean? Wouldn't you? Maybe after a hot bath or shower, but that's where I'd be going. But it's interesting, the word of the Lord has to come to Jonah a second time. See that? You know, I think there's a little bit of an indication here. I believe what we're seeing is that, is that Jonah in his heart is still a little resistant, isn't he? This, this doesn't make complete sense to him. He's not overly excited, overly gung-ho to go back to this place and be told to go to Nineveh. And we've talked about this throughout the series, but we know the Ninevites, the Assyrians, these were brutal, ruthless people. I mean, wicked to the core, some of the most ruthless, brutal people to ever live on planet Earth. I mentioned this week one, but Jewish historians believe that Jonah is a survivor of a raid that took place in Israel from the Ninevites. Could you imagine today a Jewish person, person in Israel receiving a word from the Lord, like, hey, Fred, hey, Bob, hey, Paul, hey, Jim, hey, Harry, I need you to pack up your bags and head to Palestinian territory. Go to the Gaza Strip and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me and I want to give it a chance to repent. Could you imagine getting that word from the Lord today? I don't think so. It'd be kind of scary. It'd be tough. So once again, even here, I think we can see that Jonah's resistance is at some level understandable. And I mean... After Jonah disobeyed the Lord, certainly God could have chose another prophet, right? There were other prophets alive during Jonah's time, prophets like Amos, Hosea. And you could even say these prophets had more experience than Jonah because they had prophesied uh, against Israel, judgment with an opportunity to repent. So God could have chosen one of them. Maybe they would have been more willing. Maybe they would have had more experience. <laughs> but he doesn't. He continues to run after and choose Jonah. And there's something else I thought about regarding Jonah, this Old Testament prophet. You search the scriptures yourself and check me on this, but I can't find another Old Testament prophet that gets this kind of an assignment, that is told to physically go to a pagan nation and declare judgment to it in that nation so it has an op opportunity to repent. I can't find anybody that got this assignment. I mean, Moses, he was told to go to Egypt, but for him, he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Jonah, 
gets this kind of assignment to go to these people who had killed his people. And in a sense, he's told to go to Nineveh to give them a second chance to experience the mercy of God. That's the assignment. What a lesson for Jonah, the Ninevites, for us, right? We have a God who's willing to pursue this prodigal prophet. (laughs) We have a God who cares for people. He cares for Jonah, the Ninevites, for you, for me. He cares for his image bearers. He wants to bring his kingdom to Nineveh. And he wants to do it through Jonah. The creator of the universe cares for us. Sit on that for a moment. And not only that, but he wants to accomplish his divine will through broken people. Why through broken people? Because if he didn't use broken people, he wouldn't work through people at all because we all broken. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 5. I came not to call the righteous, but call sinners to repentance. You know, I read an article this past week which I thought was fascinating. The 10 fastest growing churches in the world are in the 10 most dangerous countries to be in as a Christian. You want to know what's at the top of the list? Oh, it's going to blow your mind. It blew mine. A country called Iran. Right now, they estimate that there's a million men and women, children in Iran, that proclaim Jesus as their personal savior. It's an estimate because it's an underground church. Every day, those Muslim converts face persecution, danger, and death. We as an American church, Big C Church, the Western Church, need to wake up and be praying for these people and be praying for the lost. Because the good news, God's gospel of grace, is available for all people who are willing to repent. You see, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that men are set free. God, through the person of Christ, forgives those who we would consider the most unlikeliest of people, right? People like the Ninevites. So God tells Jonah to go. Go to the great city of Nineveh. The same seven words we see, chapter 1, verse 2. Jonah back right where he started. And it had been a lot easier for him if he'd listened to God the first time, right? But he's back where he started, he gets a second chance. We've talked a little bit about Nineveh, but I want to go into a, a little bit of a deeper dive around this great city. Because those words, the great city, the only place we see those words are here in Jonah. We also see them in one other place in the Old Testament. It's in Genesis 10. You can turn there if you'd like, otherwise I think we're going to have the verse on the screen. But Genesis 10 is really the table of nations. We see all the nations and kingdoms that are established right after the flood. And some of those kingdoms, some of those nations that are established are from Noah's great-grandson, a guy named Nimrod. Funny name. But he's also described as a mighty warrior on earth. And some of the kingdoms that Nimrod established are there, Genesis 10, verses 10 through 12. This is what it says. First centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Yorick, Akkad, Kalnei, and Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, Rehobith, Ir, Kalah, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kalah which is the great city. It's the only other place we see those words. Here, Genesis 10, the great city, referring back to Nineveh. Here's the point I want to make. Places like Nineveh, Assyria, and Babylon, Babylon in Genesis 11, that's where the Tower of Babel took place. 
These places have been Israel's neighbors and influencing Israel in the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis 10. You see, God appointed his people, the nation of Israel, to impact these other pagan countries and kingdoms and nations. But more often than not, Israel adopted some of the practices and pagan ways of these foreign nations. Places like Nineveh, the wicked place of Nineveh. It's been with the people of Israel. They would have known about Nineveh from really the beginning. And so we still have the question in front of us, well, what makes Nineveh this, this, this great city? As a matter of fact, the, the real literal Hebrew translation for the verse we're looking at today would say, this great city, the great city before the Lord. How could Nineveh, this wicked, really bad neighbor to Israel, be a great city before the Lord? <laughs> That's a good question. Is it a great city because archaeologists dug up and found that there was a wall seven and a half miles in circumference that surrounded the city? Is that why it's a great city? This wall is thick. So thick that you could ride chariots on top of it. There's an artist's rendition of uh, Nineveh right there. The archaeological evidence and the, 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 the engineering is, is astounding for that time. Maybe it's great because of that. Was it great because one of the most famous kings of Nineveh, Sennacherib, he dug out 18 canals from the surrounding hillside, bringing water to the people and watering his gardens? Is that why it's great? Historians believe the original hanging gardens of Babylon are right there in Nineveh, Sennacherib's. Maybe it's great because of that. Maybe it's great because it would take Jonah three days to go through it. That's what we see in verse 3. Maybe that's why it's great. Maybe it's great because they found over 30,000, 30,000 writings in a library in Nineveh. That was unheard of for that time. Could you imagine? Maybe that's why it's great. I mean, in the world's economy, those are some pretty good reasons for it to be great. But I don't think, and I don't believe, and I don't think that's what the text tells us that this is why it's great before the Lord. It's great before the Lord because it's full of people. His created people with souls, image bearers. That's why it's great. We even see Jonah get rebuked at the end of chapter 4 because God says to him, why should I not care about it? It's full of 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from the right. I think that's why it's great because in God's economy, his people are the priority. There's something else I want to mention about Nineveh I thought was interesting is that many believe it got its name after a uh, pagan goddess, goddess named Nina or Ninu. And this pagan goddess was known as being a goddess over the sea. And oftentimes she was depicted as a fish. Yeah. Or at least partly she was a fish in her depictions and there were times that Nineveh was referred to as the house of the fish. Could it be? Is it possible? Could it be that God allowing Jonah to be swallowed by a huge fish for three days and three nights, God was trying to teach Jonah, look, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to sustain you when you go in the belly of Nineveh and you're hanging out there for three days and three nights in the place of the fish? It could be. I think it's possible. But what we know for sure is this. God was preparing Jonah for the mission that lay ahead. He was preparing Jonah, and this is what God says to him in verse 2, to proclaim to the Ninevites, to proclaim to it the message I give you. You see, the word proclaim in verse 2, chapter 3, is the same as the word preach, what we saw in week 1. Same Hebrew word. Jonah knows he's going to Nineveh to preach, to proclaim a message because of their wickedness that had arisen before the Lord. 
but he doesn't know what he's going to say. We see that today. God's going to give him the message at some point in the future. He doesn't know right now. Jonah's got to take the first step in obedience. You know, sometimes that's life, isn't it? The task, the mission, the person in front of us may not make a whole lot of sense. We may have no idea what to say, but our job is to take the first step of obedience. You know, sometimes it's simple to say that we just got to trust and obey. God will tell us what to say, right? Our job is to trust and obey. God will tell us what to say. You know, I can't remember if I shared this before. I may have, but I remember when the Lord began to call me to become a pastor. And uh, it made no sense. Not in my mind. I mean, I just finished up treatment for the third time cancer had come back. And I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense. Why would I leave the business world, something I'd known all my life since college, I've been providing for my family, why would I leave that now and become a pastor? Nah. Eventually I relented. And I went to seminary, and I remember saying, all right, Lord, I will do this. I will look at becoming a pastor, but don't ever make me preach. (laughs) I kid you not. Please don't ever make me do that. I kind of laugh now, too. Let me just say it's a privilege. privilege. Thankful for a God that gives us second chances. But sometimes we don't have any clue what to say. We just have to trust and obey. Jonah gets a second chance, and this time he obeys the word of the Lord, and he goes to Nineveh. You know what that looks like? You know what that's called? That's repentance. Sure, repentance can be something that comes out of our mouth. Sometimes that's part of it. But real repentance means turning and going the other way. Real repentance looks like we're done going our own way, what we think is best, and going towards what God's best is for us and going his way and living in obedience to him. That's called also holiness. What if Jonah had said, nah? I don't think so. I still know about the Ninevites, yeah. I got puked out of a fish, but I ain't going there, God. Look, Jonah, make no mistake, he still had free will here. He could make choices that matter that had consequences he already had. We see that. And I don't believe for a minute that the the fish uh, vomited and spit Jonah a thousand miles through the air and he landed in Nineveh. No, that's not what the text says. He still had to go too. See that in verse 2. He still had free will. He could have said, now, you know what, God, I'm going to go to another port, I'm going to get another boat, and I'm going to go to Tarshish. But he didn't. He obeyed. We don't know what would have happened to Jonah had he disobeyed God. We're not told. But he obeyed. You know, Jonah's not the only Old Testament prophet that got a word from the Lord. It happened to a lot of the Old Testament prophets, many of them. One of them is uh, found in 1 Kings chapter 13. It's an amazing, amazing account. This particular prophet, we don't even know his name. All we're told is this man of God, he's a man of God from Judah. How would you like to not have a name but simply be referred to as a man, a woman of God? I think that'd be kind of cool, personally. 
This man of God, he's told to go to Jeroboam the first. Jeroboam, he reigned in Israel 140 years before Jeroboam the second. And remember, Jonah's prophesying he's alive during Jeroboam the second. But this man of God goes to Jeroboam the first, and Jeroboam the first in a place, he's in a place called Bethel. And he's prophesying to Jeroboam the first. And part of what the word of the Lord that came to the man of God said is that as soon as he's done prophesying, he needs to flee and leave Bethel, not eat there, don't drink anything, and just head the other way, get out of town, beat it. And I, I believe that the man of God knew that this was a grave warning. His life might be in peril if he didn't obey the word of the Lord. So he beats it. He, t- he takes off from town. That is until he runs into an older prophet. And this older prophet deceives him and lies to him and and, and says to the man of God, why don't you come back to my house and get some food and drink and hang out? And I I live in Bethel. Well, the man of God does. 1 Kings 13, he goes back, he eats, and then afterwards he's heading out. He's leaving this guy's house. And the man of God is killed by a lion. His body lays in the middle of the street. The lion stands next to him. The guy's donkey stands there too. It's an incredible account. Check it out on your own. It's listed there in your worship guide. And people are walking by this guy's body. And there's lots of lessons for the Israelites. There's lots of lessons in this for us as well. But the one I want us to ponder regarding what we're studying in Jonah is this. Yes, we have a God who is sovereign, all-powerful, He's in control. He's holy. He's just. The depths of his mercy and grace are unfathomable. And in the midst of that, we have free will. We can make choices that matter, choices that have consequences. We've talked about this because it's a theme. It's something we see throughout Jonah. The man of God made a choice and it cost him his life. It's a sobering reminder in 1 Kings 13 of this. Absolutely, God is a God of second chances. Oh, yeah. Until he's not. Until he's not. We see what happened here, 1 Kings. You know, the Ninevites, we're going to see and talk about this next week. The biggest revival to ever take place happens at really one of the crummiest messages ever preached. These people turn, they repent, at least for a few generations. Eventually, they fall back into their old ways, and they're completely wiped out, conquered by the Babylonians. Today, there's no descendants from the Ninevites. God's a God of second chances, absolutely. Until he's not. You know, the reality is every single one of us is going to leave planet Earth. One way or another, it's a guarantee. Absolutely. And And all of us will. And for those who are far from God, who live in disobedience, rejecting his plan of salvation through his one and only son, Jesus, who reject the gospel of grace, for them the idea of leaving planet Earth is frightening. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 8. Eternally separated from God. But in that very same verse, we're told, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus... For those of us who recognize him as our Lord, the gift of God is eternal life. You see, eternal life begins for the Christian the moment that we recognize and by faith make Jesus our Savior and our King. That's when eternal life begins. Death for the Christian loses its sting. 
We're now adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, as citizens of his eternal kingdom. What a privilege. What a responsibility. There's some weightiness to that. Because we should also live in a way that exemplifies the kingdom. We should also live lives that proclaim by the, our actions and our words the gospel. Recognizing that it's available for all people. For all who are willing to repent, repent will receive forgiveness. That's the lesson we see in Jonah. You know, we've experienced and we continue ex to experience the mercy and grace of God. And because of that, we should be like little Pez dispensers. You know what a Pez dispenser is? Dispensing God's mercy and grace. Boop, boop, boop. Maybe not quite like that, but you know what I mean. Jesus talks about this in a parable in Matthew chapter 18. You may be familiar with it, but it's about the unmerciful servant. This unmerciful servant, he owed 10,000 bags of gold to the king. No way he could pay that. And the king forgives him, cancels the debt. But then the unmerciful servant turns around to a fellow servant who owes him 100 pieces of silver and says, pay up. The king finds out about this, asks the unmerciful servant, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And then hands him over to the jailer. And this is what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 18, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus' words, not mine. You know what's included in each one of our testimonies and each one of our stories? is a second chance. Each one of us. Each one of us have experienced as a Christian, as a believer, a second chance, forgiveness. We have. It's called a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It may sound familiar. It's what we studied in 1 Peter. And you see, as forgiven people, we should forgive people. As, as people who have experienced a second chance, we should be willing to give a second chance to others. There's a guy I was recently reminded of. I'll tell you what, he had a lot of chances. You could say, I know the math doesn't add up, but you could say he had a lot of second chances. His name was uh, Louis Zamperini. You may have heard of this guy. There was a movie made about him a few years back called Unbroken. Louis was a rebel child. I mean, he got himself in trouble. And uh, I believe even through school he talked about he, he could only speak Italian. So he had all kinds of, he, he, he was just a rebel. He eventually learned to run. He actually ran in long distance in the 1936 Berlin Olympics Games. And there he actually met Adolf Hitler as well. Well, Louis went on to serve in the Pacific and serve in World War II. And a plane he was on experienced mechanical failure, went into the Pacific Ocean. And him and a couple other crew members for 47 days were on a life raft. 47 days. And kind of like Jonah, Louis was delivered from the sea onto dry land. But for Louis, his deliverance was into Japanese hands. And they put him in a POW camp for quite a long time. He was tortured, he was beaten, and one of the worst prison guards was a guy nicknamed the Bird. And years later, when he's an old man in the interview, Louis still can't talk about how he was treated. It's just too hard for him. All he said was there was a point where he weighed 65 pounds. Brutal treatment. But after the war, Louis eventually found Jesus. 
And I know it's a couple minutes long, but I think it's worth you watching. Here's his testimony. So he reluctantly agreed to attend the next Billy Graham meeting. He talks about one person only, a person of Jesus Christ for 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, he read the scriptures, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't like the idea of someone else reminding me, you know. Well, if anybody had ever asked me if I believed that Christ was the Son of God, I would have said, yes, all my life I believed it. But the heart, no, I never, I knew somehow if I believed it in my heart, my life would have been different. So I knew I didn't possess the Savior. And, uh, but I still didn't want to do it. And I think the best description of that is, the Bible says that men prefer darkness rather than light. And here I was preferring my rotten life to, to, to the light. And then I started having a flashback to the life raft and prison camp. All those thousands and thousands of prayers, God, spare my life through the war and I'll seek you and serve you. And I kept thinking, I came back from the war alive and I never even thought about those prayers. Never even tried to keep one prayer. That night, Louis gave his life to Jesus Christ. I got off of my knees. Somehow I knew that I forgave all of my guards, including the bird. I knew it. And the young boy who grew up always wanting to get even came full circle in 1950. Louis traveled back to Japan to forgive the prison guards that tortured him. Some even accepted Christ as their savior. And in 1998, Louis again returned to Japan to run with the Olympic torch before the Winter Games in Nagano. I believe it with all my heart that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to his purpose. Christ told us in the scriptures, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He that cometh to me, I will know I cast out. Christ is the way to God. He's the way, is the truth. People are always seeking truth. Well, the truth is Christ. And he's the life. But I think our eternal life starts now by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is the strength we live by, and death no longer has a sting, not to the Christian. Oh, that was powerful. Pretty cool testimony. I wonder what that would have taken. I wonder what that was like. To go back to Japan and forgive those guys. Here's my question for you, for me, for all of us as we wrap up the day and proceed with our week. Is there somebody in your life that God's calling you to give a second chance to? I've got to tell you, working through this text, thinking about that question, I've been convicted. You see, we live in a culture that doesn't understand mercy doesn't understand second chances at all. I mean, every day somebody's destroyed on social media, right? I mean, every day for something they may have or may not have even said or done. I get consequences. Clearly that's in the text. But as forgiven people, shouldn't we forgive people? Shouldn't I? As people have been given a second chance, Shouldn't we be willing to follow the Lord's leading when he calls us to do that as well? 
I think sometimes I gravitate to going the way of culture versus the way of Christ. But as people who have been, been given a second chance, we should too. For Jonah, he was called to give a second chance to the Ninevites. For Louis, he was called to give a second chance, in a sense, to his Japanese prison guards, and that happened in 1950. In a way, they were his Ninevites. Who's God calling you to give a second chance to? Who are your Ninevites? may not mean that you travel to a hostile nation. It may. <laughs> Who knows? It may mean that you give a second chance to your neighbor. Got a different political sign than you would vote in their yard. You've had an argument with them mowing your grass. Maybe time to give them a second chance. Maybe time to give a second chance to a friend, a family member. Might be time to pick up the phone, write an email, write a letter. The task, the mission may not make a lot of sense. The person may not make a lot of sense. You may not even know what to say. But our job is to take the step of obedience and trust that God will tell us what to say. You might even have somebody in your life that's asked you for a second chance and you're holding back. Sometimes it's easier to do that than to forgive, extend mercy. Who's God calling you to give a second chance to? It might even, might even be somebody that's wounded you deeply. There's consequences. You may not be able to ever see them again, be around them again. But you know what? you got to trust God, and you must forgive them in your heart. Jesus said so. Jesus said so. You know, earlier in the interview, you didn't see this, but Louis talked about how he had nightmares for years after the war, every single night of being tortured, waking up in a cold sweat. I can't imagine what he went through. But the nightmare stopped the day he met Jesus and encountered him and made him his savior. Stopped. You see, Louis forgiving the Japanese, Louis doing that, taking that step, giving them a second chance, his captors, that wasn't Louis. That was Christ in him. You see, we can't forgive people like that. We can't give people a second chance, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, others even in the church that may have wounded us. We can't, not on our own. That's Christ in us. And the more we surrender our lives to him, experiencing his mercy, his grace and love in our lives, and we're filled with it, it flows out of us. That's where the strength comes from to give people a second chance. Let's pray. Once again, Jesus, thank you for giving us a second chance. God, we recognize that we are given a certain amount of time on planet Earth. And I know this may be the last message I preach. It's possible. This may be the last message some of you hear. And you may be here today and, yeah, you've known Christ as the Son of God, but you've never made him Savior and King of your heart. And you know today is the day he's calling you from darkness into light. If you're here and that's you, would you just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me? I'd love to pray for you. Don't wait. I see you. Don't wait. The second chance is for sure. But we've been given time and how are we going to spend it? Perhaps you're here today and you're like, yep. Holy Spirit certainly convicted me. There's somebody in my life I need to give a second chance to. I'm going to give you just a moment at the feet of Jesus right now and pray for his strength and his mercy and grace to allow you to do that this week.
We've got a moment to do that with him now. Thanks for your word. Thanks for this body of believers. Thanks that we can lean on you and lean on one another. God, would you help us to be dispensers of your mercy and grace. Teach us what it looks like for each of us to give whoever it is that you're calling us to give a second chance to help us with that. Help us to be forgiving people because we've been forgiven. Thanks. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.